It was a great race, but I can't remember who won because the exhilaration of flying down the road on my motorcycle was suddenly cut short when we pulled up to a stop sign. The police car with its red lights flashing seemed to appear out of nowhere. My heart sank. At 16 years old, I had accumulated an assortment of 13 traffic violations in less than a year, and I knew that the next one might cost me my license. That decision would be in the hands of the judge, but I feared the worst. I remember vividly sitting at the back of the traffic court, waiting nervously and hoping that other violations being cited would make mine pale in comparison, but not so. Mine was the worst case scenario that day. Finally, the judge called my name and asked me to stand before him. With all eyes on me, the judge reviewed my embarrassing record of violations and then stated for all to hear the latest and greatest. I wanted to be someplace else just then, any place else. How do you plead? He said. I responded meekly, can I explain? Looking me in the eye, he asked straightforwardly, guilty or not guilty? In that moment, I wanted to beg for mercy and understanding, but I knew I had to answer that question first. So I said, guilty, your honor. He immediately responded, guilty as charged. Your license is suspended for one year. Stunned and dejected, I walked out of the courtroom. In Luke chapter 18, we see Jesus telling a parable about a widow in dire straits. Apparently, her only recourse is to get help from the city judge. Although her dilemma is a far cry from my dilemma at age 16, there are some parallels. Her situation and mine weren't good and beyond our control to fix. She hoped that a judge would hear her case and help her out. I hoped for the same, with help coming in the form of mercy. The widow appealed her case over and over again until she finally got what she wanted. I didn't make an appeal and got what I didn't want, suspension. Should I be surprised? No. Would things have turned out differently for me if I sought out the judge afterwards to ask for mercy from a contrite heart? Perhaps. So with this parable in view, it means that if I persist in my appeals to the ultimate judge, God, he will finally give me what I want, right? In fact, the parable is preceded by a statement about praying all the time without giving up. That may be so, but there's more to it than what first meets the eye. Let's start by joining the audience, which is most likely Jesus' disciples, as noted in the previous chapter. There are two characters in the parable, a judge and a widow. With regard to the judge, Many translations describe him as someone who neither feared God nor respected man. So we have an ungodly magistrate who doesn't care about people. 
The word respect may be translated as shame, which is actually preferred given the shame-pride culture of the Middle East, both then and now. The idea Jesus communicates here is that this particular judge has no shame whatsoever, no spark of honor in his soul to which anyone can appeal. In short, he doesn't care about anyone, not even God. So any appeal to his heart is a waste of time because he has no heart. Jesus is a master at the art of hyperbole as exemplified in the exaggerated image he creates of a judge who is the worst of the worst. In short, this man is definitely not the person you would want to hear your case. On the other extreme of the spectrum is a widow who in the Old Testament symbolized the innocent, powerless, and oppressed. So, if there were ever someone who deserved help, it's this woman. And if there were ever someone who couldn't care less about helping anyone, it's this judge. With this exaggerated image in view, the widow appeals her case, saying, Avenge me from my adversary. She simply wants justice to be served, and according to her culture, this widow must be heard. Nonetheless, the heartless judge turns a deaf ear and ignores her pleas, at least for a while. Finally, bothered by her incessant appeals, the judge says to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect man, because this widow wearies me, I will avenge her so she doesn't exhaust me by constantly coming to me. Notice how the judge recalls the fact that he is ungodly and uncaring. Once again, Jesus wants his listeners to know that this particular judge is the worst of the worst. However, the widow is so relentless in bringing her case before him that he finally relents and gives her what she wants. So, what does the Lord want us to learn here? Jesus gives us the answer by immediately following this parable with a call for all to hear what the unrighteous judge said, which was that he would answer the widow's plea to keep from getting worn out. Now, if we stop there, we are left with an uncaring God who doesn't want to be bothered by legitimate prayers for help. But if we badger him enough, he will finally respond to shut us up. Is that so? I hope not. Let's go on. By using hyperbole, Jesus creates a picture of an ungodly, uncaring judge who finally yields to a needy widow who persists in prayer. If that is so, then how much more will God, the ultimate judge who is infinitely caring and moved by our needs, answer our prayers quickly and perfectly? This is what Jesus means when he follows the parable by asking this rhetorical question. Will not God avenge his elect who are crying out day and night and show patience to them? The answer is, of course, and the Lord will do so quickly.
Suffice to say that there is no comparison between God and the judge in this parable. However, the persistence of the widow to pray without losing heart serves as an example of faithfulness for us to follow. Our Lord made this point clear when he asked, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's the same question he asks us right now. So, this parable is as much a lesson on faithfulness as it is on prayer. Before briefly addressing the follow-on parable found in Luke chapter 18, verses 19 to 14, we must pause and ask ourselves this question. Why does Jesus give two parables on prayer at this point in his ministry? For that answer, we must go to the larger context to understand what just happened and what is about to happen. In the previous chapter, we hear the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus responded by saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. That chapter then closes with Jesus teaching about the coming kingdom of God and a call to be ready. In Luke chapter 19, soon after presenting the two parables on prayer, Jesus enters his last week of life on earth before he is crucified, and the opposition directed against him becomes focused on his disciples. So, the context of these parables is a call for the disciples of Jesus to remain faithful and stand firm in the midst of opposition. For that to happen, they must pray all the time and never give up. Those words of Luke chapter 18 verse 1 launched the parable of the persistent widow, which is a model of faithful prayer in difficult circumstances. In the next parable, entitled The Pharisee and the Tax Collector, Jesus presents two men who both go to God in prayer. They could not be more different. The Pharisee thanks God that he is not like the other guy. Sometimes we do the same. He's self-righteous and proud. Conversely, the tax collector is humble and penitent, crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. After prayer, only one goes home justified in the eyes of God. The moral, as Jesus states plainly, is that those exalting themselves will be humbled, but the one humbling himself will be exalted. So, what is prayer? It is God's invitation to approach him humbly and faithfully trusting him implicitly to give us what we need. Three questions for your consideration. First, how would you answer a child who asks, what is prayer and why should I pray? Second, what ongoing prayer of yours has not been answered? And why do you continue to pray for it? And third, with God's interests in view, 
what might he want you to pray about most of all?